Welcome to The Savvy Sauce, where we have practical chats for intentional living. I'm your host, Laura Duggar, and I'm so glad you're here. to an anonymous donor to Midwest Food Bank who paid the sponsorship fee in hopes of spreading awareness. Learn more about this amazing nonprofit organization at midwestfoodbank.org. Jason Van Ruler is my guest today. He is a therapist, speaker, and author. His book is entitled, Get Past Your Past, How Facing Your Broken Places Leads to True Connection. Jason's going to go first, and he's going to share his story now, as well as relationship advice and wisdom for parents and married couples. Here's our chat. Welcome to the Savvy Sauce, Jason. Thank you so much for having me, Laura. I've been looking forward to this. Same here. And will you begin our time together by telling us about your personal journey, beginning with growing up in a challenging environment, and then how that led you to become a licensed therapist and now author? Yeah, well, I I think my story uh, is unique to me, but in some ways, one that is increasingly common, probably shared by a lot. But I, I grew up in a home that was pretty idyllic. Just all the things were there that you would want to be there as a kid. And seemingly, It was just going to be the childhood that a kid would dream of. And then at age eight, my parents divorced. And so it was a very surprising divorce to me. I was eight, so I'm not sure how much clarity I really had about anything anyway. But they divorced, and I went from having this kind of idyllic childhood to a very volatile, chaotic one. And so when my parents divorced, what basically happened is it kind of thrust us into this place uh, of struggling with some poverty moving a lot. We we lived in probably 20 houses throughout my childhood since age eight to age 18. So we moved a ton. There was just a lot of addiction and trauma and abuse. And so it kind of went from having what you might suspect as being a really wonderful childhood to having this significant break and then shifting to something quite the opposite. And so for me, uh, obviously that was really difficult and I really struggled with that. And so I did the thing that people do when they exit a difficult childhood and they just say, well, I'm never going to do that, right? That'll never be me. I'm going to live so much differently. And so I kind of declared that from the rooftops as I graduated and and I'm going to move out and do all this stuff. And unfortunately, I just kind of recreated the same system. And I think the reason for that is I just, I didn't know how to do it differently. And so I knew in my heart that I wanted things to change, but I wasn't sure how. And so I ended up just, replicating the system. And so within a couple of years, I'd gone to college, dropped out of college, uh, was now struggling financially, really because I was making a lot of poor decisions and, and drinking and using drugs and just doing all the things that I had said I would never do. And that's when I had the realization that I talk about in the book of either your life is going to be pretty predictable if you keep doing this or it's going to change. And that kind of led me down the path of improvement and in, in wanting to become a therapist. But I will tell you, Laura, I always wanted to be a therapist, actually, if you can believe that. And, and it was probably obvious that I was going to be a therapist because at age eight, I was already journaling. So, so I don't know many eight-year-olds that are journaling, uh, but I actually have the journal at home. And at age eight, I journaled that I wanted to be a therapist. I wanted to write a book. I wanted to kind of do all the things I was doing today. And I think some of that was because 
I have always dressed like a therapist. So I was wearing my corduroys and my sweater (laughs) and I was dressed like a 60 year old man. And I just had decided I'm going to be a therapist. And so I think I had clarity, but life was complicated. And so it took me a long time to get to the place I wanted to go because some things got in the way. Wow, that is such a helpful recap. And along this journey, when was it that you met and surrendered your life to Jesus? Yeah, well, you know, really a couple times. So when my parents were married, uh, grew up in the church and that was part of my life. And then after they split, that became something that was really hit or miss. So occasionally we'd go to church and we might go to different churches. And and so there was not a lot of stability there. And as I you know, made my declaration about being different and changing everything, I really had this kind of uh, fight with God. I had this wrestling match where I, I just couldn't quite fathom how I could have something so good that could switch to something so bad and God could still have some role in that. And so for a long time, um, I really wrestled with that. And I would say um, that even though I had been baptized as a child, I was baptized in the Missouri River shortly after I got married. And that for me is really when I look at my faith expanding and being the kind of faith that I would want as an adult. Wow, that's incredible. And now as an adult, if you fast forward and catch us up to just a snapshot of today, can you update us on your family? Yeah. So, um, you know, I, I met my wife, we got married and we both had talked about having kids and that was important to us. And I talk more about this in the book, but we had a lot of problems um, having kids. And in fact, we're told we couldn't. And so had uh, tried to adopt and that didn't work. And so eventually, by God's grace, we, we had kids. Um, we did the thing they said we couldn't do. And so now I've got three kiddos a son who's 13 and a daughter that's 10 and another son who is eight. Um, And so uh, married now, this year will be 17 years with three kids. I love it. And I also just love how God surprised you with leading you into a career where you work so often with married couples. And attachment is a huge piece of any relationship. So will you teach us attachment theory? Yeah, absolutely. Attachment theory is something that's really helpful for a lot of people because I think what we're looking to try to do is to better understand the patterns and themes in our relationship. And so attachment theory is a great way to do that. It is not a new theory. It's something a lot of people are talking about now, but it's actually been around for a long time. And it was really founded by this guy. His name was John Bowlby. And basically what he based attachment theory on is that we have these initial relationships with our parents and our caregivers. And so that relationship that we have really determines the relationship and attachment style that we have going forward. And so if you can think about this, when we have a relationship with a parent, we're essentially dependent on them, right? If a parent refuses to care for a baby, they will die, right? They absolutely need that. And so that relationship is critical. And from that relationship, we learn ways to operate in the world. And so a lot of that initial relationship will determine our future relationship. So that's what they talked about with attachment theory. Uh, And Bowlby did some experiments that were pretty famous where uh, he would have a child in a room and the mother would be in the room with the child and then the mother would leave the room and they would look to see what the baby would do. And so if the baby 
screamed and cried and was just inconsolable and very upset, uh, they would often feel like that was an anxious attachment style. And so the anxious attachment style is the perception that relationships are insecure, meaning you're always at risk of losing them. And so they are deeply afraid of being abandoned. Okay. And so that baby would respond as though mom has left and I'm abandoned and now I'm alone. So that was one of the styles. As they did this research, another style was the mother would leave and the baby would just be okay. The baby would actually, um, when the mom came back, not even try to connect. It, it just didn't have a great attachment to the mother, period. And so this would be called avoidant or dismissive. And so this attachment style is essentially someone who does not want to depend on others or to have others depend on them. And they don't seek all that support and approval that an anxiously attached person would seek. The third style is disorganized. Some people call this a fearful avoidant too, but this one is mixed results, right? And so this often comes from having a parent that's inconsistent or at times is hurtful. And so it's a person who deeply wants to have connection, but is also deeply afraid of having that connection. And so at times they might be anxious, at times they might be avoidant, but it's kind of a mixed style. And then the style that everybody wants, Laura, is secure attachment. That's what we're all really going for, right? Mm -hmm. And secure attachment was when the child was okay when mom was there and okay when mom wasn't there and could be in relationship when there was an opportunity and not when there wasn't. Uh, and so basically it's the ability to regulate ourselves well. And secure attachment is something that people want because it allows us to have some more objectivity in relationship, probably a healthier perspective about relationships than we do if we have the avoidant or the anxious or the fearful, because those other ones are driven by a need that wasn't met. Okay, that is such a good flyover. And now just a few follow-up questions. As we progress and even get married and have our own families Typically, differing attachment styles are attracted to one another. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I mean, I think God's really funny that way. Yeah, it, it's sort of this this idea of we we often end up with someone who, you know, is either opposite or, you know, operates in a place that is kind of challenging for us, but is very intriguing initially. And so can you give some examples of how that plays out specifically in a married couple? Yeah, I think probably the the most talked about pairing of attachment styles would be the anxious and the avoidant. And so what this is, is sometimes called the pursuer and the distancer. So the anxiously attached person is always chasing and seeking that connection, right? Because they're, they're kind of fundamental question of uh, the anxiously attached is, am I okay? Are we okay? And the question for an avoidant is, are we getting too close? Okay, so when they feel like we're getting too close, they put distance. So what we can end up having is a relationship style where one person is chasing the other for connection, and the other is running away from it. And so that can be really stressful, it can be really challenging, because we both need two very different things. And so unless we're intentional about trying to meet in the middle, we can unfortunately have a cycle that just repeats itself. And even as you say that, I think of friendships as well. Do you see this attachment style playing out really in all of our relationships as adults? Yeah, absolutely. And it's something that 
I think if we understand, we can work around. But if we don't, unfortunately, it can kind of run our life. I know, and I've talked about this, uh, I'm anxiously attached. And so prior to doing a lot of personal work, I was just kind of always wondering if I was okay, right? I, I might have even said, hey, Laura, how is this going? Am I doing all right in this interview? Do you, do you think it's fine? And so that just started to come out all over the place. And that's how that works if we don't know or we don't have intention about where we're at. And so it is something we see in friendships. We see it in work relationships. We see it all over the place. And again, it's just a thing that if we understand, we can begin to work towards secure attachment or having that stability and ability to regulate our emotions and and kind of show up knowing we're okay and being comfortable with connection. Uh, But that does take some work if we're not coming into our life with secure attachment. Let's take a quick break to hear a message from our sponsor. Midwest Food Bank exists to provide industry-leading food relief to those in need while feeding them spiritually. They are a food charity with a desire to demonstrate God's love by providing help to those in need. Unlike other parts of the world where there's not enough food, in America, the resources actually do exist. That's why food pantries and food banks like Midwest Food Bank are so important. The goods that they deliver to their agency partners help to supplement the food supply for families and individuals across our country, aiding those whose resources are beyond stretched. Midwest Food Bank also supports people globally through their locations in Haiti and East Africa, which are some of the areas hardest hit by hunger arising from poverty. This ministry reaches millions of people every year, and thanks to the Lord's provision, 99% of every donation goes directly toward providing food to people in need. The remaining 1% of income is used for fundraising, costs of leadership, oversight, and other administrative expenses. Donations, volunteers, and prayers are always appreciated for Midwest Food Bank. To learn more, visit midwestfoodbank.org or listen to episode 83 of The Savvy Sauce, where the founder, David Kieser, shares miracles of God that he's witnessed through this nonprofit organization. I hope you check them out today. How can each of us specifically work to move more towards secure attachment? Yeah, well, the easiest way that people would recommend is find someone who has a secure attachment style and just be their best friend or marry them. Uh, that, that's the short answer, because what, what research has told us is that we actually, we change by being around that secure attachment style. And you might even notice this if you're anxiously attached and you have a friend or your partner is securely attached, they will, in a lot of ways, help you to regulate what you're feeling because they don't experience that same feeling. Right. And so they just bring that calming effect. The other part is just learning about it. There's a great book called Attach and it's by Amir Levine. And it talks about ways that we can actually develop a more secure attachment style. So I think either being around securely attached people or learning about the hallmarks of those and trying to change your behavior are both ways we can get there. And Anybody who has a personal relationship with Jesus, obviously he is the most securely attached. And I think there is so much healing there when we are deepening and establishing our relationship with him because we can experience that unconditional positive regard and unconditional love. Yeah, I think I think if you're a faith person like I am, like you are, I think that's our superpower actually is that we have that already. Like, that's just something that is with us today. 
even if we're in a place where we're like, yeah, very anxiously attached, like we just know a very easy place to go where we're going to have that connection that we really desire. And so, yes, absolutely. That's a great place to start for people is you don't even have to go outside of your home, just going even to prayer and having that connection or relationship is a great model for the one we're trying to build. Hmm. Well, there's a sense of urgency that I feel as a parent too, because attachment follows us throughout our lives. And you said it well, on page 85, you wrote, I have a good friend who says we are all just reacting to or reflecting our childhoods. So, Jason, how can we best set up our children to be securely attached? Yeah, that's a great question. I think it's knowing our own attachment and knowing what we bring into that relationship with our children and being honest about that and working on it as needed. So I, I think where we get into a lot of trouble is just not having the awareness or insight about who we are and what we bring into that. Because the truth is, is none of us are going to be perfect parents. I mean, I would like to, and, and certainly that that would be a goal of mine if it were possible, but it's not. And so I think how we can best do that for our kids is just to be honest about how it is. Even just kind of saying like, yeah, this is a place I kind of struggle. What book could I read? Who can I talk to? How do I get better at this? And the other thing that I tell people is if you're coming into this as a parent and, and you say, you know, I know I've got some woundedness in my past. I know I've got some struggles. I'm aware of that. And so it's not going to be natural or intuitive for me to know what to do as a parent. Get some role models. I will say my parenting has completely changed the more I've allowed role models to be in my life. And what I mean by that is those are people who I literally go to and say like, hey, here's a thing that's going on with my kiddos. And this is what I would do. What would you do? And just learning from people who have a different attachment style, who are more securely attached, who have done it before, have that perspective. That is a great teacher for how to do it in your own life. I think it's always helpful to hear practical examples like that. That is something that seems doable. And I'm just curious, with this attachment with our children, is that typically more on them or more on us as the parents to whether or not they form a secure attachment? Yeah, that's a great question. What research tells us is it, it typically lands more on the parents, although we both have a role in that. And so the way as a parent that we really want to just reinforce that is, is being that parent that is available, being the parent that is consistent and stable. And when we're able to do that, that lends itself to the child having secure attachment. Uh, now, certainly perception can affect things, but if we are coming in as our stable self and consistent with our kiddos, they're far more likely to have a secure attachment style. Okay. And then also just thinking of when I was a brand new mom, sometimes I would take that to mean, okay, I can never leave them if I want them to have a long-term secure attachment. But I don't think that's what you're saying. So will you elaborate? more even on the do's and don'ts that help with secure attachment. Yeah, well, that is what I mean, Laura. You can never leave, no vacations ever. <laughs> you have to stay put forever. I know we feel that way because it is so important. And I, and I think so many of us now, we, ju we just want to do it better. And, and we want it to be healthy and we want to do all the right things. And, and so that's great. 
something I say often is the opposite though of one extreme is is another, right? And so we don't we don't want to kind of fly from not having insight awareness and, and just operating out of reaction to then being completely rigid and doing nothing. So so really the thing is is that yeah, absolutely you can take vacation. You can do things like that. I think the piece that's actually vital is communication. Are we communicating what is happening to our kids and why? And obviously that's going to be different dependent on the age because some things are more age appropriate than others. But are we really communicating what's happening? And then when we are present, are we really present? I think sometimes people worry about leaving their kids and saying, well, I'm going to be gone from them. How does that impact them? But they're not even present when they're with them. And so I think being present when you're with your kids is really, really important. I think if you take vacations and do things like that, it just matters that you communicate what's happening. And I feel like that's a message of grace. And we cannot, I know I cannot hear that enough. And it makes me reflect back. One of my sweet friends is Julie Roth, and she's actually a counselor as well. And she's been on the Savvy Sauce, so I can link some of her previous episodes But she also talked about there are times, like you're saying, if we are communicating with our children, but if we take breaks or we go on date night or we go to work or different things, when we come back and reenter and are present, like you said, that can even strengthen the attachment. They feel more secure knowing it's okay to be apart and then it's okay to come back together. Absolutely. Yeah. Would you elaborate on any thoughts on that? Yeah, well, exactly. You're you're just talking about how we model that attachment, right? Is that uh, you're okay when I'm here and you're okay when I'm not and I'll return and you'll know what's going to happen. So a lot of times where the biggest challenges are and where those attachments are really challenged and the things that lead us to places like being anxiously attached or avoidantly or things like that are when we don't know what's going to happen. And so we're left to fill in the blanks. And so the problem for kids is that kids have a really limited ability to fill in the blanks with different options. So most of their options are going to be revolving around something that they did or didn't do. And so that's why it's our job as parents to explain where we're coming from, why we're doing what we're doing, and make sure that they're understanding that, you know, we're not going on date night because we don't love you and we want to get away from you. We're going on date night to honor our marriage and we'll return. And so just kind of doing that communication with kids is the thing that really helps them to understand that. Okay, so one other piece to follow this further with the parent-child relationship, I think that repair is a huge part here as well. And so do you see secure attachment being also formed when we ask forgiveness from our children and train them? how to say they are sorry and ask for forgiveness from us as well? Definitely. Yep. We we are really role modeling for them the relationships that they will have for the rest of their life or have to fight against. And so it doesn't have to be perfect. And in fact, it shouldn't be and it couldn't be because they are not going to find a perfect relationship in this world. And so the ability to really face a mistake or face a disconnect and repair is a skill not a lot of kids get. A lot of times they don't see that done. And so having secure attachment is not about being perfect, but it's about knowing how to resolve it when it's not. And so the goal for us is is just to say like, yep, that thing happened. I want to own it. And I want to demonstrate what it looks like to actually repair from this. 
because that is a vital skill, not only for kids, but even adults. I mean, so often I work with clients who just say, I was never taught how to do this. And it's really, really important. I want to take a moment to say thank you. You are the reason our team gets to delight in this work, and we appreciate each of you so very much. If you're benefiting from the lessons learned and applied from the Savvy Sauce, would you take a minute to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts? Five-star ratings and reviews help us reach more people around the globe, and that promotes our goal of sharing joy. So join us in that endeavor with your valuable feedback. Thanks again for being here with us. Well, you tell so many stories throughout your book. Would you share a couple of your favorites, including some of the lessons that they taught you? Absolutely. I think one of my favorite stories is probably when I'm talking about the experience with my dad where we're tubing. I think that was just a fun story for me. He took us out and we we skipped school, uh, like very irresponsible kids, to go boating with my dad. And I didn't often get a lot of time with my dad. So it was just kind of inherently a big deal. Uh, and then when I think we drank like soda, we, we did all the things, you know, that you're not supposed to do that we did. And on that trip, he took us tubing behind a boat. And as we were doing that, we each were thrown off. So I've got a brother and, and he was thrown off pretty quickly. Uh, and I wasn't long after, which, you know, thanks, Dad. I think that's why I still go to the chiropractor today. But he had this friend that he uh, was on the tube and my dad pulled him with a boat and just increasingly tried to get the friend to fall off the tube, which is kind of what you do, kind of a fun thing. Everyone's laughing. And he just couldn't. The, the friend would be kind of jostled around and thrown and, and would just keep hanging on and hanging on and hanging on. And eventually what happened is that it, it kind of went from this joking thing to like, hey, I wonder if I can really get him to fly off. And my dad did. It, it was quite the scene. You know, I talk in the book about I think my Snickers bar was like flying out of the boat. It was just, you know, this this madness. And the friend flew off and, and went to get back in the boat and was actually missing a tooth. And so, you know, we were all kind of laughing about it. But then it took this kind of serious turn because, boy, that cost him something. And I was just really caught up in, why didn't you just let go? You know, why did like I let go? My brother let go. Like, you could have done that so much earlier. And he just had said, like, it just seemed easier to hang on. And I think for me, that has stood out throughout my entire life is just this idea of like the open hand, closed hand. Like sometimes it does seem easier to hang on to things we shouldn't than to open our hand and let it go. Well, and also, will you unpack a lesson that you learned about a news story that popped up? I think it was maybe five or six years ago, but really stuck with you. Yeah, there was this family and they went to a market and they were going to buy uh, what they thought was a puppy. So they were in Asia and I've never bought a puppy from a market. I'm not sure that I'd recommend it, but they did. And so they were just certain that they had bought this puppy and they went home and they began to feed it and do all the things that you do with a puppy. But it didn't take very long before the puppy started to actually consume quite a bit of food and got to be pretty big. And so like, well, this could just be like a really big version of this dog and we don't know a whole lot about it because we got it at a market. So let's just feed it more and feed it more. And what happened over time is it started to just eat like this ridiculous amount of food. It was like, this puppy is like, you're not going to go to college because we have to feed the dog and it's getting bigger and bigger and bigger until finally 
the family says something is really wrong here. Um, either we've got the biggest dog in the world or it's not a dog. I don't know. And so they took it to a vet and they just said, Hey, you know, here's the thing. Uh, we bought this puppy and they explained the whole story. And the vet says, yeah, well, this is actually an endangered Asiatic bear. And so the family had thought they had a puppy. They'd been raising this puppy. And what they were really raising was a bear that was actually pretty dangerous to have in the house. And that story just floored me. I'd never heard it before reading your book, but I also loved your takeaways. Can you share the lesson learned for you? Yeah, we have to be curious. You know, we have to be curious and and not being curious can be really dangerous because just doing the thing to do the thing sometimes means that we're growing something that could hurt us. Mm-hmm. And so along the way, we have to ask some questions. And, and what was interesting to me about the news story was that it had talked about the family really wondering more than once before they ever said anything, what was happening and just not doing anything about that. And I think if we're not careful, we do that in our own life, right? We do that thing where our gut is telling us, or maybe we're in prayer and we're hearing God say to us, something is not right or something needs to be questioned. And for whatever reason, we just don't. We just don't. We just keep doing more of the same because it seems comfortable and it's what we know. But the challenge is sometimes it takes us a year or two before we realize we've raised the bear. And then when we raise the bear, we have a whole new set of problems that we never anticipated because it's not what we were trying to do. That is so relatable. Thank you for sharing. And we did talk about parenting, and you have so much background working with married couples and studying attachment theory. And so as we go back to thinking of the secure attachment within marriage, are there any practical tips you recommend for couples to start turning toward one another in a healthy, securely attached way? Yeah, we have to understand really what makes us tick as well as what makes our partner tick. And so what I mean by that is we all have different core needs. We we have different attachment styles. We have different things that matter. We have our love languages as an example. We have our primal question. We have all these things that are specific to us. And so the best, healthiest couples know the other person. They know what they need and they give that to them. And so what we really want to do to have a secure relationship is to understand well who our person is and what they need from us, and then do our best to meet them there. Where we get really off track is when we don't have insight or awareness about that. We're not curious, and we simply try to give them the things that are important to us, right? So for me, it's really interesting being anxiously attached and and working through that. You know, I needed to know that I was okay. That was something I sought after quite a bit. And so early in our marriage, I would chase after my wife and and tell her she was okay all the time. I would be like, you're great. You're and I would tell her all the things I wished that I could hear. And it didn't work. And I was very frustrated because I'm like, I'm doing literally all the things. Why does this not work for you? And the reason was, is she was more on the secure attachment than I was. And so she's like, I actually don't need to hear that. Like, that's not super important to me. That's nice but it doesn't carry the weight for me that it does for you. And so I think the best, healthiest relationships are not the ones where we're perfect, but the ones where we understand 
what matters to the other person. And we try to meet them there rather than simply trying to give them what's important to us. Well, you have so much knowledge around psychology and relationships. So for anyone who won't get to experience going to school for a counseling degree, will you just share a handful of other useful bits of wisdom you've gained? Well, it's been a process. And one of the I think to me, the greatest benefits of you know becoming a, a therapist or counselor is that I've gotten to do these things for myself and I've gotten to learn along the way. And so I think some things that I've learned is just that we are all still a work in progress no matter what, no matter if you've been a therapist for 20 years or like we're all still working on things. And actually that's okay. That That is totally okay to be doing that. I think I've also learned, too, that there's a lot of beauty in the difficult spaces. You know, I think we run from the messiness a lot of times. But the truth is, at least in my experience, a lot of times the clients that I work with, God is so present in that space. Like that is just where God shows up in major ways is in that messy place where we think we're going to be all alone. And so getting to see that has just been such a, a wonderful thing. I think also doing what I do uh, has taught me that it's really okay to ask for help. Um, that is not, uh, I'm a great Midwestern guy. And so that's not how I was raised is to do that. But doing that is how we get through it and seeking community who's willing to help that we can also help in return. That is truly where growth and where health and connection come from. Well, and Jason, I know you have a lot more to share. So where can we go after this conversation to learn more from you? Yes, I've got a website. It's jasonvr.com. And on that website, you'll find some free resources about relationships. There's actually a course about attachment and some other books that could be read, as well as access to my book. And then if you're looking for just day-to-day -day brief relationship tips, you can go to Instagram and it's jason.vanruler at Instagram where I post daily, if not twice daily, about just quick relationship tips and tools, as well as sometimes parenting stuff and dating and all that good stuff. Because my goal really is just to help people and to get the information in their hands. And so that would be another way that you could find me. Wonderful. We will add all of those links in the show notes for today's episode. And you may already be aware we are called the Savvy Sauce because savvy is synonymous with practical knowledge. And so as my final question for you today, what is your Savvy Sauce? Yeah, I think for me, you know, I get asked a lot, um, how, how did you do these things? How did you get here? And I think it really is very simple. In fact, a little too simple. But um, we just, we ask somebody that knows and then we do the next right thing. That's it. You just take that next step. And so I think for someone like me, who's been, you know, an overthinker my whole life, that sounds very complicated, right? It's like, there has to be a trick there. But the truth of the matter is, it is pretty simple. You, you just take the next step. And when we do that, it leads to wonderful places. Jason, your field of work is not always an easy one to navigate, but it is meaningful and purposeful. So thank you for walking alongside so many people and sharing your insights with us, both through your book and now this conversation. I just want to say thank you for being my guest. Well, I appreciate it. I've loved our conversation today, and it is truly an honor and privilege to get to do the work I do. One more thing before you go. 
Have you heard the term gospel before? It simply means good news, and I want to share the best news with you. But it starts with the bad news. Every single one of us were born sinners, and God is perfect and holy, so he cannot be in the presence of sin. Therefore, we're separated from him. This means there's absolutely no chance we can make it to heaven on our own. So for you and for me, it means we deserve death and we can never pay back the sacrifice we owe to be saved. We need a savior. But God loved us so much, he made a way for his only son to willingly die in our place as the perfect substitute. This gives us hope of life forever in right relationship with him. That is good news. Jesus lived the perfect life we could never live and died in our place for our sin. This was God's plan to make a way to reconcile with us so that God can look at us and see Jesus. We can be covered and justified through the work Jesus finished if we choose to receive what he has done for us. Romans 10.9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So would you pray with me now? Heavenly Father, thank you for sending Jesus to take our place. I pray someone today, right now, is touched and chooses to turn their life over to you. Will you clearly guide them and help them take their next step in faith to declare you as Lord of their life? We trust you to work and change the lives now for eternity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer, you are declaring him for me, so me for him. You get the opportunity to live your life for him. At this podcast, we are called Savvy for a reason. We want to give you practical tools to implement the knowledge you have learned. So you're ready to get started? First, tell someone. Say it out loud. Get a Bible. The first day I made this decision, my parents took me to Barnes & Noble to get the Quest NIV Bible, and I love it. Start by reading the book of John. Get connected locally, which basically means just tell someone who is part of the church in your community that you made a decision to follow Christ. I'm assuming they will be thrilled to talk with you about further steps, such as going to church and getting connected to other believers to encourage you. We want to celebrate with you too, so feel free to leave a comment for us if you made a decision for Christ. We also have show notes included where you can read scripture that describes this process. Finally, be encouraged. Luke 15.10 says, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The heavens are praising with you for your decision today. If you've already received this good news, I pray that you have someone else to share it with today. You are loved, and I look forward to meeting you here next time.